Joshua chapter 10, we left off at verse 15. The children of Israel, they, they are going back to Gilgog. And what, we've, what we're doing now, we're entering the main campaign in the southern part of the land. We spoke about Adonai Zedek and how he had heard of the victories that the children of Israel had had completed by the power of the Lord, the victories at Ai and Jericho. And remember, he brings these five kings together, this alliance together. He's heard that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel. So he gathers all of these big dogs, five kings together of the southern powers to make war with Gibeah. They're upset at the children of Israel, so they make war with Gibeah, which we found out was a blessing in disguise because now all of these kings and all their men have came out and they've encamped around the Gibeonites. So when the Lord tells them to go to war, go to battle, they're out in the open. So the Lord, by his grace, they will have victory over all of these five kings. They're in the open field. And we are given the names of these kings, and that's significant to us. Some of them, we learn, were dealing with self-worth, dealing with haughtiness, dealing with pride, and these are some of the things that all of us fight against in the heartland of our hearts. I don't think these names are here for no reason at all. They're here for a purpose, as Joshua is pursuing his enemies. Remember, he prays to the Lord's sun and moon stand still in the valley of Ajalon. And we find out that the Lord lengthens that day and gives the children of of Israel a great victory. And there are times in our lives, depending on what we are struggling with, depending on what we may be wrestling with, that's called warfare. No one has an easy walk down here. But if we are genuinely willing to surrender and submit our lives to the Lord, he will lengthen those days. He'll lengthen that battle. Grace and time of help. If we sit before him and with our whole heart and we begin to speak to him and tell him, Lord, don't let this struggle I'm having have victory over my life. He is gracious to defend us. So Joshua and his men returned to Gilgog, amazed in awe of what the Lord has done to give them victory. And it's at this point that Joshua, he receives word about these five kings, and they are hidden in a cave. And verse 16 tells us, But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Machedah. And it was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Machedah. So they're in the middle of chasing this coalition and and defeating their army. And all of a sudden, they come to Joshua and say, Hey, these five kings have escaped and they're in this cave. And Joshua is a very wise leader, a very wise general. And he has the ability on the spot 
to make a decision on the fly. Instead of telling the army to go in and go after these five kings, he says, no, continue to pursue this army, and we will deal with these five kings later. And he makes a wise choice and a good decision. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. So he has a sense of priority in what to do. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that, finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. So some got away and they went back to these fortified cities. And it tells us in verse 21, and all the people returned to the camp, to Joshua at Machadah, in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. The enemies of the Lord, they are awestruck at what God has did, this, this victory that Israel has had. The Lord is righteous in all his doings. When Moses, remember, he announces the last plague to Pharaoh, the death of the firstborn, he warns Pharaoh. He says this in Exodus eleven seven. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move his tongue. So not only men and women, but Moses says here, not even a dog will move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. That's very important because the Lord still makes a difference between those that are born again and those that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The scripture tells us the enemy always makes his accusations with the tongue. James chapter 3 verse 5 says this, even so, The tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. In the world that we live in, abortion is promoted through the tongue. Immorality is promoted through the tongue. Hatred and bigotry is promoted through the tongue. Verse 6 of James tells us this, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. So many of the things that are adverse to you and I come through the tongue. Even our faith, the truth of the gospel, is mobilized through the tongue, and that's just the way it is. The Bible says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the enemy understands the power of that and how wonderful it is here. God so powerfully makes himself known, manifests his glory, his authority, that no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. 
The Bible speaks of every mouth will be stopped. And once again, what he means by that, they can bring no railing accusation against God and what he's doing to all of these nations that he's given 400 years to repent of their sins, knowing that, knowing that they are defeated, they can say nothing. Verse 22 tells us, then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. This is a great, a great picture for us. They've had a battle. They've been victorious. But the kings themselves, the central figures, the initiators, the instigators of this war, like many of so many leaders, when war occurs and their members are destroyed, those in the army, they get away scot-free to battle again. God says, no, it's not going to happen this way. And what, how I want to apply it to us, you guys, there are sometimes... When we think we have a victory, we allow things to enter into our cave of the heart and let it sit there. You can have victory, but then we are content to let something live in the cave because it's still there in the heart. It may not be manifesting itself then, but it's hiding out, hoping that we will just forget about it. We are aware of it, even though we pretend it's not there. Oh, but when things begin to get tough, when we begin to start going through life and hit something and everything else drudges that back up, we bring it out and play with it. It's our default mechanism. It's like a binky that a little child has. And we let it live in the heart. And I want you to understand, God is never content with that. He wants it to be brought out into the light. Joshua says, bring them out. And the question is, are we really willing to bring those things that torment us out into the light? Bring them into the open, those things that need to be put to death. And it's those things that we sometimes allow to linger in our hearts. Those are the things that usually comes back to bite us. And God is saying, no, I want you to get rid of everything. We may suppress them, but sooner or later, they come back for us. When our world is rocked or upside down, we get anxious, we get worried, we get angered, we lust over something or someone, and all of a sudden, they're revealed in our hearts. They're exposed, and they begin to mock us. And we thought we had put that something to death, and now it's raising its head and coming to life again. So certainly, this is a picture of the flesh and the sinful nature. And God is saying, bring that into the open, bring that into the light so I can deal with it. Verse 23 tells us, and they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, 
and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all of your enemies against whom you fight. Did you catch what he said? God will do, but we must fight. Once again, all the way through the Bible, it speaks of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And this is a the God wants the children of Israel, this great army, to hear this. Think back with me. When first Joshua, Moses turns over the leadership to, to Joshua, and he told Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. And he challenges Joshua on this. Then the children of Israel, they come to Joshua And they say this to Joshua, all that you command us, we will do only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Joshua has grown in this process. He's beginning to get stronger and stronger by submitting his life to the Lord. He's seen many things and the Lord is strengthening him. Early on, remember when the children of Uh, Israel, they were on the eastern side of the Jordan, and they had to cross through the Jordan River, and they were trusting in the Lord for the victory at Jericho. He was in training then. He was learning then. Remember, they set up the 12 stones in the riverbed of the Jordan, and then they set 12 stones up on the western side of the promised land. Having walked and marched around Jericho, So much of those things defies logic, but demands faith from us. And there are things like that in our lives, by and large, large when we think of, when God usually leads us, he usually does it in a reasonable way. Okay, Lord, I understand you want me to do this, you want me to do that, I'll follow you. But there are some times, When we don't know what's going on and the Lord says, I want you to step out of the boat into the water. And it demands faith to do that. And Joshua is understanding this. Even when he was defeated and the children of Israel were defeated at Ai, God still uses Joshua, knowing and understanding that you might lose a battle here and there but you don't have to lose the war. Paul told us, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a moving on for every child of God. And Joshua now, he comes to the battle. He's been encouraged. He says, sun and moon stand still. What? audacity he had to say that after he had failed. 
but God is encouraging him. God is allowing him to understand that I'm with you. So he speaks these words in faith, and it happens. Joshua is in training. The same way you and I are in training. Every day we wake up, the Lord has us in training. We must be in his word. We must be in prayer so that our spiritual antennas will be up and we understand what's going on in our lives and how to have victory over these things. It tells us in Hebrews 5.14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, not meaning that you're 85. That does you no good if you don't know the Lord. That means that you are maturing. We are maturing in Christ because we are in his word and we sit there and let the Lord speak to us. And we pray and say, Lord, I don't understand it yet. How, what what do you mean by this? And you begin to walk and the Lord begins to reveal himself to you. And we are growing, maturing, so we won't make the same mistakes over and over again. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern, here it is, both good and evil. God takes us through these earthly battles that we might learn to trust him and rely on him. Now, Joshua is able to say, and the whole army is looking, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, be strong and of good courage. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Joshua knew that he hadn't made the sun and the moon stand still. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you will fight. And we'll find out as we read, we are encouraged to take that same attitude when we go into battles, whether it's battles of depression, whether it's battles of anxiety, whether it's battles with pornography, whatever the battle is, if we genuinely give it to the Lord, battles of bitterness, if we truly give it to the Lord, we will have victory. Paul puts it like this, and the God of peace will crush Satan Under your feet shortly. Keep walking. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. When Paul wrote this to the church in Rome, they were being persecuted. And the persecution was very, very tough. And yet believers were laying down their lives. And their encouragement from Paul was, sooner or later... The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So this was not some macho thing that Joshua's general did to these five kings. Hey, let's show them how tough we are. It was none of that. This is about God has done this and what he will do and what he will continue to do if we allow him to be Lord of our hearts. The battle belongs to him. And as long as we are obedient, we won't do that perfectly. But if we walk in a sphere of righteousness, we will see victory in every part of this promised land. That's the promise Almighty God has made to us. So he tells them in verse 26, and afterward, 
Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. Remember, Leviticus tells them, if you're going to hang anyone on a tree, make sure by evening you take the bodies down. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave. Hey, you want to be in a cave so much, we'll put you back in the cave, where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day, the day he was writing this. Remember, this is historical and it's literal. We're going through the history. And what's so good about the Bible as you go through the history of what the children of Israel did by God, we have all kind of pictures. We all have all kind of shadows. We have all kind of types spiritually for us. It says, on that day, Joshua took Machadah. Now, what will start to happen is after the five kings are defeated, Joshua, he begins to move very rapidly. He's destroying the backbone of the southern kingdom. That's what he's just done. He doesn't take every city because we will find out in the book of Judges how the pockets of the enemy will sprout up. But he subdued them enough to allow areas of the tribes of Israel to take hold. God says, hey, I wish he wouldn't do it this way, but thus saith the Lord. But this is what he says. PV, I'm not going to defeat all of your enemies at one time. Because if I defeat all of your enemies at one time, you're going to think you did it. And you're going to begin to be lax and slack in your walk with me. And that's not good. So he says, I'm going to let you be, have, be victorious Little by little, you will always have to come back to me because you can't defeat these enemies without me. So that's going to keep you on your knees. That's going to keep you in your word. That's going to keep you in prayer. That's going to build character and build maturity because you're always depending on me. So no need to lose heart. No need to get frustrated. Just come to me and learn to walk by faith with me, and I will give you victory. Because you're growing into the image of my dear son, and even he, when he came down here as a man, went to me for everything. So why don't you? That's what he's saying. That's the reason all our enemies are not scattered at one time. He's defeated the southern kingdom. He's about to start his northern campaign here. He breaks the back of Canaan. He takes the most significant cities, and he takes them in a very strategic way here. He, Joshua is such a general that the way he took the land of Canaan, when Sennacherib came into, the, into Canaan, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, they used his same strategy for the children of Israel. So it tells us, we start to see this happen in fast succession. On that day, Joshua took Machadah and struck it and its kings with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Machadah as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Machadah 
and all Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its kings into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish, and they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on that day. on the second day, and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that he had done to Libna. The Holy Spirit is so exacting. We don't, every word that's on the pages, they're there for a reason. Out of all of the cities, we're told, it took until the second day to take Lachish. There may have been more that it took to the second day, but the Holy Spirit reminds us here of all that he took and that we will read about. Only Lachish, it took the second day to defeat it. Lachish, remember, means impregnable. That's what it means. It seems they're taking these cities a day at a time. And I feel the lesson for us today is there might be things that's in our lives that take twice as long to defeat than other things. Some things go very quickly. When I was saved, a lot of things went very quickly from me. But some other things I still battle with. And it depends on a lot how we've grown up, the influences that were in our lives, and sometimes these things take longer than other things to defeat, and we're all different. That's why we need to be careful about judging one another as believers. Just because the Lord has been gracious to you and removed every stronghold from you, it might take you twice as long for him to do that with you. So that's why we should never judge a brother or sister in Christ. Hey, the Lord delivered me from this stronghold. He delivered me from this bondage the same day. So what's your problem? You don't love him enough. You don't trust him enough. God says, no, 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 no. That's not it. I need him. I need her closer to me. I need them walking closer with me. And we need to walk in humility with our brothers and sisters in Christ because this is what God will do. If we begin to boast how the Lord delivered me from this and that and you can't understand why PV still struggles with something, guess what? The Lord has a tailor-made temptation just for you. And that brings humility that brings, oh man, I shouldn't have said that because look, I can't, I can't get over this. I try, I try, and I just can't do it. It's the grace of God. He wants his children to be in an intimate, close walk with him. Second Peter chapter 3, the latter part of verse 17 tells us this. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, 
Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. So I believe the Holy Spirit puts this here to teach us some things in our fallen nature. And some things will take longer to subdue. So don't give up. No need to give up. No need to give out. Don't become discouraged that you're still wrestling with something. That stronghold or that bondage. We have to understand, though, it's not impregnable. It just takes a little longer by the grace of God that he will defeat that. That's what he does. The victory is ours. And speaking of battles, Pastor Pastor, uh, Jonathan says something about it. And we are planning uh, this mission trip to Florida from Hurricane Ian. And anyone that the Lord has put on your heart, please come to the meeting. It's so many brothers and sisters that are down there and, and, and they are in the midst of this. And we looked at Calvary uh, Relief when Lindsay was here. She told us about that. But we're also looking at Samaritan's Purse. It, it depends on how many people go. But my point is, we are a mission-minded church because Jesus Christ is mission-minded. So if there's any way, if the Lord puts that burden on your heart, Come to the meeting and let's enjoy it because we've got, we, we have many brothers and sisters down there serving and we want to be there too. So please pray about that. Verse 33, then Horam, king of Gezer. Now, who is this guy? Joshua is not even bothering this guy, but this guy just comes up and joins the fight with them. And if the only thing I can get out of this is don't butt into other people's business. (laughs) Don't be like that. Because if you do, the same thing might happen to you here. That's what's going on. Notice what it says. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until, until he left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day, there it is, and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron. And they fought against it, and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. You know, this is sidebar. I love watching Gladiator. (laughs) That's one of my favorite movies. I love watching 300s. In some parts, I have to go by. But my point is, it's amazing how I love watching those battles, but I wouldn't want to be one of those dudes out there fighting. These guys, hand-to-hand combat, fighting all day and all night. Men, And they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Its king, all its cities, and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. I wonder that day, how did Joshua feel? He goes to Hebron. Abraham called it Mambri his favorite spot with the terebinth trees all around. He hung out there. And now 
Here comes Joshua, knowing the promises of the Lord, knowing the promises that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he comes in this region, and he stands there. And you know he, he was reminiscing on all of the promises of God. Paul says by the Holy Spirit, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. They are there for the taking. It was, it was in Mamre, in Hebron, where Abraham and Lot went their separate ways after God had been nudging Abraham to get rid of him. It says, lift up your eyes and now look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. That's why Joshua is there. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, every believer here. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. He's standing right there. And let's not forget, God has said to Abraham, the iniquity of the Amorites are not yet full. I'm giving them grace. I'm giving them 400 years to repent of their sins because I love them too. So I'm giving them time to repent. So now Joshua is in the land. The Canaanites were wicked, immoral people. They did all of these sacrifices with their children. And God's estimation now is it's time. They would not repent. So I want you to wipe all of them out. Like once again, once again, it's like a rabbit dog in your yard and you've got Max and Leo like we have. And if I seen a rabbit dog trying to kill either one of my precious dogs, <laughs> I'm going to put my life in front of it and get rid of it. And that's what the Lord is doing, how much so, with his people. The children of Israel is God's chastening rod, and they're wiping them out. Verse 38 tells us, Then Joshua returned all, and all Israel with them to Debir, and they fought against it. And he took it and his kings and all his cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and his king as he had done also to Libna and his king. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea, that should bring back a memories, as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, not speaking of Egypt, even as far as Gibeon. Joshua is back in Kadesh Barnea. I bet Caleb and him, they got together and said, man, if we would have only, if the other 10 spies would have only had faith, it wouldn't have taken 38 years to come back here. We could have defeated those giants right now. So I know they're just basking in what ifs, but God knows what's going on. All these kings 
and their land Joshua took at one time. And here's the reason. Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. All of these battles, as you read, I want you to see, they're offensive battles. That's the way it is today in Israel. They never let an enemy come and preempt them. They never do that. Look at the history. Look at it now. If they feel like someone is mustering against them, getting together to defeat defeat them, go to war against them, they strike first. So these are all offensive battles. There's no defensive battles in the scriptures with the children of Israel. They always move first. It says in verse 43, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. The careful reader will look and understand they don't say anything about Jarmuth and they don't say anything about Jerusalem where they spared. What we're going to find in chapter 24, the last chapter of Joshua, about Jarmuth. But we know in 2 Samuel that David, when he unites the kingdoms together, the first thing that he does he goes and defeats the Jebusites. So they're not getting away with anything. Yes, they had fortified cities, but they will be defeated also. And so now the rest of these southern campaigns, they're nothing but mop-up duties. Not every city, once again, will be defeated, but the backbone of the southern kingdoms have been defeated. And now he begins to move to the northern kingdoms. It's, I'll give you an example. It's like Alabama Crimson Tide. No need of me watching now anymore. They've been defeated this year. They're not going to make the playoffs. So, you know, that's the way it is. That's what's happening in the southern kingdoms. They are defeated no matter what they try to do. And Joshua turns his eyes, turns his attention to the northern kingdoms here. And it came to pass when Jabin king of Hazor heard these things, all that had happened in the southern campaign, that he sent Jobad, king of Madden, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Ashap, verse 2, and to the kings who were from the north, there it is, in the mountains, in the plain of Chinneroth. Chinneroth is the Sea of Galilee. They call it the Sea of Chinneroth anyway. Uh, That's his Hebrew name because it's shaped like a harp. In it, in the lowland and in the heights of Dor, on the west to the Canaanites, in the east, and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Pezzarite, the Jebusite, in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mitzvah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them. Please notice, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. Josephus tells us the footmen, they had over 300,000 men, footmen. They had over 20,000 
chariots, which were the Abrams tanks today, and they had over 10,000 cavalrymen, which were the special forces. So I want you to imagine this scene. They've already defeated the southern campaign, defeated, defeated them, and they turn their eyes and see this indestructible force as it would be without the Lord that you can't even number. That's what they're about to go against. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Meron to fight against Israel. They're probably planning, that's what they're doing here, to come to the Jordan Valley. They're at the rivers of Mebron. So what they're doing, what they want to do, they want to put all of their chariots together and they want to go down the Jordan Valley and attack the children of Israel. The reason I tell you that the children of Israel, they always preempt before anyone comes after them. Once again, they know this, so they're going up before the chariots can get down because if they get down, the chariots can maneuver and they can be effective. But if they go up to them in this mountainous area, they're of no use. And I know they're getting their leadings from the Lord. And that's why they are always on the offensive. So they, we will see, they will move. And I believe the Holy Spirit, why he tells us how many men and chariots there are, because this is, once again, this is an insurmountable task. You can't win this battle in the natural. You can't win some of these strongholds, some of these bondages, because we live in a fallen world and we are bent. And if you dabble with something, or even if you don't dabble with something, there's a bent to every one of us. And if we play with it, we easily get in bondage. And no matter how you try in the natural, hmm, you're not going to defeat some of these things. You're not going to defeat homosexuality in the natural. This is a spiritual battle. And there's many other things we will not defeat in the natural. That's why he told us when they crossed the Jordan River and told us about how large Jericho was and the mountains and how they already felt defeated because they were in the natural. But we have a supernatural God who can mend and fix marriages, fix relationships, fix all of those things if we yield and do our part and allow him to work in our lives. That's why this history is here. That's why he's pointing these things out to us. They have God Almighty on their side. And that's what he's training Joshua, and he's learning to understand. And then God knowing that they are fearful. God knowing that once again there's doubt because he sent the spies out, and they come back because they're not there yet. He sent spies out. They come back and said, we can't even count these dudes. And guess what? They have Abram's tanks, and we haven't run, run up against this thing. Joshua, what are we going to do? And here come God, and he does what he always does. 
He says, but the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. One of your children might be going through something, and how is this going to ever turn out for the good? Joshua says, do not be afraid. You pray, and you continue to pray. I'm a faithful God because of them. For tomorrow, about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel, every one of those bondages. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with them came against them. There it is, suddenly, by the waters of Memron, and they attacked them, probably at night. Now, I don't want to overplay this. I've said it before, but I want us to see the sequence of the text here. Once again, divine sovereignty does not negate human activity, but it should stimulate it because that's what's happening here. You see, we frequently look at the teaching of divine sovereignty too simplistically. Some will allege that if God ordains something as certain, all we have to do is kick back and let him handle his business, but it shouldn't work like that. It's irrelevant what we do if God has ordained something. Let, you've heard it before, let go and let God. But that's not what the scriptures teach. Joshua knows better than this. His view, Joshua's view, is the correct view. And it's not to let go, but grab God and go along with him. What divine sovereignty should do, it should breed confidence in every walk, every step we make with the Lord. Because the Bible has already told us, we looked at this last Sunday, we as believers are more than what? In Christ Jesus. But we're not if we just stand there. Okay, God, you said it. Win the victory. Uh-uh. Divine sovereignty, man's responsibility. We have to join him. And that's where the victory comes in at. Give you a good example of this. Philippians 2.13 tells us, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He puts that unction in us, and as we make that first step, he rides right along with us. We can't do the supernatural. He does the supernatural, but we walk up right with him. And anything that needs to be done supernaturally, he will do it. That's what he's saying here. Verse 7, so Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Memron, and they attacked them. My point is, Memron is in the upper Galilee, 4,000 foot sea level. They go up, and they go up at night, and they begin to battle them. They catch them by surprise here. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to the greater Sidon, to the brook Misrephah, and to the valley of Mizpah, eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. Look at what God will do when we yield our lives to him. None of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses 
and burn their chariots with fire. Now, this seems strange to me. Knowing that I'm going to be in several more battles, why would I hamstring the horses and burn up the chariots? Those are the tanks once again. They they could be useful. But God being an omniscient God, he understands man. And he understands because he sees the end from the beginning. He understands that the children of Israel will stop looking to him and put their trust and put their hope into these chariots and into these horses. And God says, since I know you guys, I did create you, I made you, I don't want you doing that. I don't want you saying It was because of these tanks that you had the victory. I want you to understand that you only have victory through me. And that's exactly what happened. 2 Kings chapter 23 verse 11 tells us, Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to what? To the sun. At the entrance to the house, right at the tabernacle of the Lord, by the chamber of Nathan Melech the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. By the time Josiah, this godly king, comes on the scene, they're actually worshiping horses and chariots. That's why God told them not to, calling them horses and chariots of the sun, no doubt depending on them for victory. That's why the psalmist tells us, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in politicians and some trust in other things. But I'm here to tell you, don't trust in those things. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our hope. We will never be defeated if we trust in him. That's what he says. But we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. And early in all of this, God tells them, hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. Verse 10, Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazor and struck his king with the sword. For Hazor was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Notice what it says. Then he burned Hazor with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck them with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, On their ruins, Israel burned none of them except Hazor. The Holy Spirit tells us twice. That's emphasis. He wants us to understand something except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And what the Holy Spirit is telling us, once again, this is the northern campaign. He defeats this great army at Memron, and then he turns back and goes westward, and he begins to fight Hazor. Hazor was the largest city 
in the land of Canaan. God is so gracious. He gives us victories in increments, little battles. That was just a little battle. And Lord, by your grace, I defeated it. Then the battle gets a little larger and harder and tougher. By his grace, we defeat it. That's what he does at Jericho. Remember inside the walls of Jericho, there are eight acres, pretty large. We will find out when they go to the fortified city of Megiddo, inside their walls are 14 acres. Hazor, inside its walls, 200 acres. Can you imagine that? That's why they had the numbers of their men were uncountable. Inside the walls are 200 acres. The children of Israel defeat them. Not only do they defeat them, they go back and they burn it down. Because what is Joshua doing by the command of the Lord? He's making He's making them and everyone around them see an example of them. We're going to defeat you guys if you come up against us. We've taken the largest city and we've defeated it. Because remember, he doesn't burn down any other city here. So he's making an example of them. The worship team can come up. What I want us to understand by these pictures and these types and these shadows I said it earlier, when a brother or sister is going through something, struggling with something, we're here to pray for them. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for a praying mom and a praying dad, because no one else was praying. They pray for me. Pray for your children. Pray for your unsaved children. No matter how big the walls might seem, God answers prayer. God is waiting to continue to hear from you in prayer. Once again, don't go by things that are seen, but things that are unseen. Because if they would have went by what they saw, an immeasurable number of men and chariots and horses, they would have been defeated. So God is saying, hey, trust me, yield to me, and allow me to work in your lives. I've promised you the victory. But once again, divine sovereignty, man's responsibility, we can't sit and say, okay, we'll wait till it comes. Matter of fact, when he says, the psalmist says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage, that's a three-fourth wound cord. And I'm not waiting. Lord, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. That means I'm in action. I'm in action in prayer. I'm in action while I'm waiting for my victory. I'm praying for someone else. I'm serving someone else. I'm doing all those things. Why can't I do those things when my house is falling down? Because I'm trusting in the Lord. That's how he moves. He doesn't want us to ball up and say, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. I'm giving up. That's what the enemy wants to hear. He's given us great and precious promises. But we have to do our part. That's why we come together. That's why we come together, to fellowship, 
to listen to one another. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And we not, I hope we not only say that, but we take those things to the Lord in prayer. The effective prayer of a righteous man. That's what my Bible says, prevails much. That's what we need to do. And the victory will be ours. Anytime we put it in low gear, my life is okay. Put it in neutral, I'm okay. Hey, you guys do. I feel sorry for you. Go, on, go for what you know. Once again, there's a tailor-made temptation for every one of us. And if that's what the Lord has to do to get you on your knees, he loves you. He'll do that. But Christians, believers in Jesus Christ should be the most confident people in the world because God is on our side. He's for you. He's not against you. He didn't bring us. He's not only a saving God. I've said it before. He's a keeping God. But we have to go lockstep with him and walk in confidence. Walk in the power of Almighty God. Let's pray. Father, I love your word because anything that I wrestle with and I go through, I can find it in your word. It might not be the exact thing, but the method is the same thing. There's a mountain that I can't get over, not in the natural. But Lord, if I listen to you and if I follow you, not only can I get over it, you will say, now go back and burn it. Burn it to the ground. Let none of those kings reside in your heart. Defeat them and get rid of them. That's what you say, and that's what you're teaching all of us, Father. Lord, I pray for anyone here that are struggling with whatever it might be. You know, Lord, I don't have to know. Lord, I pray that they would take hold of your garment, that they would be like, I think it was the Syrophoenician woman. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's the kind of faith you look for. And then you turned around and said, woman, (laughs) woman, I'll bless you. Lord, we love you. Open our hearts up to love you more, Lord. I know you will be there for us. I pray that we are there for you, that we are ministering, that we are doing the things you've called us to do. And we don't have to worry about you, Lord. We can serve and minister to others because you're going to look after us. You're our husband. We're in a covenant relationship with you. You've said you never leave us nor forsake us. So may we walk in that. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Let's stand and close with a song, please.